0: Sports is recorded in Harrisonburg, Virginia, in the heart of the Shenandoah Valley. Starring Dave. Surprising little fun
1: fact, King Griffey Jr. was the first number one overall draft pick
0: to go into the Hall of Fame. Chris.
1: ALCS MVP for the Houston
0: Astros, Gary Sanchez. Brad. If you're a professional. Act like you've gotten criticism before because obviously you have. And Joe. And yeah, Chris Davis is awful. And now... 4-D Sports. And we are back here on 4-D Sports. It's another episode. I'm Joe. With me is Matt and Parker Neal, co-GMs of the Strasburg Express. And these guys, I'm happy to have them with us. They are also regulars like Ray and John have become regulars. Uh, These guys are regulars that we try to have on every year because I know the rest of the guys enjoy them, but I definitely enjoy talking to them too. And uh, let's start off. Matt, uh, you know, what's going on? Uh, obviously, no Valley Baseball League this summer. So uh, what are you doing this summer to keep yourself busy?
2: I've been playing a lot of PlayStation. Yeah. Uh, it's NCAA 2014. I'm on my 12th season of Virginia Tech football. And I have uh, been dabbling in some adult Lego sets, uh, building Lane Stadium, building Camden Yards. So uh, a little bit nerdy, but it's very fun and time-consuming.
0: There you go. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to NCAA football. Uh, Parker, <laughs> yeah. what are you uh, up to these, this summer?
1: Oh, uh, unlike Matt, some of us work for a living, so uh, <laughs> I've actually still had to do some work despite the, the pandemic times, but uh, basically either slightly traveling or spending every dying second with a crying seven-month-old. So one of those two <laughs> typically occupies
0: my time. Well That sounds exciting, uh, but you touched on the college football, Matt, and I wanted to talk about that. I I gave you a heads up that we might be talking about it uh, today. Uh, I don't know if you actually watched it or not. I haven't done anything on Twitch ever. So yesterday was an experience of me downloading Twitch on my PlayStation and then trying to get in and watch another person play a video game, which is something I haven't done before. But uh, logging in to watch Virginia Tech play in a virtual national championship and then win that virtual national championship. My brother and I both watched it. Uh, I, I thought it was hilarious. And, of course, uh, one particular writer chimed in with uh, he will never uh, watch and promote another person at Barstool Norm. playing a video game. Yeah, Norm. Uh, I don't know Norm personally. I've never met him in my life. I'm sure he's a great writer. But to me, I was like, wow, why do you have to be such a stick in the mud and just let us enjoy what this is, which is entertainment.
2: Yeah, that that's kind of what Norm does. Um, in fact, <laughs> one of the school guys, their SEC guy, Brandon Walker, called him out and said, "There's a reason you follow a major college program and only have seven thousand followers. That's why." Uh, there's three sports writers: there's Norm Wood, Mike Bar, and Aaron McFarlane. and they're all kind of cut from the same cloth. Uh, they're kind of a troll type people. Uh, so they despise the Barstool model, which is kind of laid-back, uh, soft-word humor, uh, not taking stuff too seriously. So. Right. And Barstool mocks Barstool mocks journalists that take their job very seriously, which are those guys. So naturally, they're going to, uh, you know, kind of collide heads. Form was trying to get a reaction. I don't think he knew what that was going to do to his mentions.
0: So, uh, I was going to say, as they say on Twitter, uh, as, as all the younger people than me say, you got ratioed. <laughs> did.
2: It was bad. It was very, very bad. But but that's what happens when, when you poke a monster like that. That's what's going to happen. And truthfully, I think he wants that to happen. That's kind of interesting.
0: Uh, did you watch it? I did, yes. Parker, did watch you watch it?
2: it? I did. I, I, had, I
1: knew nothing about it, and I was actually texting Matt last night <laughs> at about 9.30 – trying to get all the background of this whole process of, you know, big cat and everything. So uh, <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm, I'm familiar with Barstool. I don't follow like Matt does, but I just found out what this whole thing was and I'm kind of mad. I didn't come up with the idea myself about a month ago.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, and that's the thing. Like he's like, uh, what Barstool's about. I'm not about that. I'm like, I don't agree with everything Barstool puts out, but I don't agree with everything that anybody puts out. So uh, to me this is fun and in a in a world where we don't have sports right now who cares if some guy is playing a video game and it gets college programs are excited about it as as one person put this is free pub for Virginia Tech you're playing in a virtual sure. national championship against somebody and your school is out there just have fun with it cuz that's what people want to see they want to see you have fun it, virginia tech could have taken this seriously and been like oh we're above virtual national championships or whatever. I thought it was hilarious that they put on their website, virtual national champions. I thought that was funny. And there's so many people being like, oh my gosh, Virginia tech is so lame for doing this. I'm like, they just don't take it that seriously. And that's the difference. They're, they're having fun.
1: I saw today that they got, what was it, Matt? You might know better. Like 20,000 more viewers than what Neyland stadium even holds like 120,000 or something like that. I mean, so it's, it's something to pass the time. And if you take it for what it's, meant to be which is good fun it's perfect
2: and if you and, and, and if you had followed the comments it was lots of people taking it well like for example tech fans took it jokingly uh, most Uva fans played along watching the game creating fake national championship trophies um, and then tech put that thing on their website about the national championship they put it up for 25 minutes and back down it's just they're, they they're, they're kind of laughing at themselves a little bit and it i thought it was a really fun sunday night I really
0: enjoyed it. Yeah, I had fun for like the first time all 2020. I had fun.
2: <laughs> I
1: was like, "This is yeah, great." Sure. Check mark on the calendar.
0: Yeah, I was like, "This is so much fun!" Oh my gosh! And and just watching him lose because that's the thing. Like I had been following along on Twitter whenever he would do stuff, and it's funny when he doesn't win because he gets super upset and curses and flips out. And that's it's always fun to watch somebody else suck at those video games because I <laughs> suck at them. So <laughs> it's, it makes me feel better. They do.
2: They, they did a great job. The whole thing was organic. I don't know if you track the background of this, but he started off as a uh, offensive coordinator for Toledo, mm-hmm. and then uh, he just kind of live-tweeted about it, and folks were like, you should you should live-stream this, and they had no idea there was any kind of demand for what he was doing, and they went from Toledo to Florida State OC to USC, uh, USC OC to Texas Tech to, to Tennessee, and he's got Pat Mahomes involved in it and stuff like that, so it's like everything else Barstool does. Uh it's pretty organic. And once they touched it and endorsed it, it
0: blew up. Yeah. And uh yeah, I had been I had probably started paying attention once he was the OC at Florida State. I think that's when I I missed the yeah. Toledo stuff. But when he was at Florida State, I caught some of that. And then he always moves, which I like too. He moves to a different program every year. So it just yeah. it's a smart move because it gets that fan base to be like, oh, cool. Well, maybe I'll watch. because... He's playing Virginia Tech, and so that's what made me watch because I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'll watch Virginia Tech play in this thing. So, so His, I, his coaching carousel tonight at 830, right? I know. We're, yeah, I'm going to miss it talking to you guys probably. But, <laughs> but I'll have to try to catch it later. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's funny. And uh, the people that get upset about this, and I don't know, man. I was just like, man, I don't know what it's like to live that kind of life where I'm getting upset about somebody playing a video game. <laughs> like, I, I just can't get there. <laughs>
2: I'm with you. It's harmless. It's enjoyable. It passes the time. I mean, it's 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 carefree stuff.
0: So let's go from something enjoyable and fun like video games to back to real life where I'm not going to get what I want, which is Major League Baseball. Uh, Parker, let's start with you on this one. Uh, What is your take on this? Um, And I don't know if you guys share the same opinion as I do, but to me, it just seems like the owners are really trying to put this on the players being like, Oh, well the players aren't taking any pay cuts. Players aren't taking any pay cuts. I'm like, I mean, they've already agreed to take whatever percentage of their salary for the games played. It just seems like the owners rightly or wrongly banked on fans being able to go to games. Eventually it's hit them in the face that that's not an opportunity. And so now they don't want to lose money for what would be the first time in the history of major league baseball. But at least from where I'm sitting, when you have record profits year after year, it's hard for me to believe that owners, if they don't make money this year are all of a sudden going to not be able to own a baseball team anymore. What do you think? Parker? Mm-hmm.
1: No, I agree. I think, I guess, first of all, I think both sides have been incredibly kind of tone deaf to the times right now. And I think that their negotiations should have been behind closed doors where the public's not hearing all these, because if somebody hears a, you know, a guy with a $2 billion net worth, worrying about whether he's going to lose a few bucks next year when they've been out of a job for two months. It just doesn't, it doesn't come across well. But I think uh, to me, I, I guess I would lean more towards the player side, like pro pro players. Cause it's what you just said, I think, you know, they're kind of the ones taking the risk. They're the ones on the field. You know, a lot of these owners do have net worths of, you know, a whole lot more zeros than I can even count to. So uh, if they have to endure one year of uh, a, a loss, I think they're okay. Plus I think if they, you know, a loss this year might not be as bad as if they continue this and lose fans for the next several years. Because um, it, it is pissing a lot of folks off. Oh, yeah. So I, think just, I think both sides have just been tone deaf. I think they should have done it behind closed doors. Tell Trevor Bauer to stay off of Twitter. Um, tell some of these other folks to stay off of that stuff. You know, tell, tell Trump, too, for that matter. But uh, it's just, it's it's been crazy to me that, that they're that public with it at a time when that many people were dying and out of, when, you know, 30-some million out of jobs. It just seems crazy to me.
0: Uh, Matt, what do you what do you make of this whole collective bargaining and in public and what's going on between the union and the owners?
2: I'm with both of you. I I side with the players in the whole ordeal. I think the owners uh, playing hardball and threatening to sit out a season backfired. The players kind of realized if they're all, if they're thinking they can sit out an entire season, they're probably not losing the amount of money they say they are. And of course, the owners are never going to open their books. That will never happen. Uh, So I think that approach backfired. Um, I've been kind of critical of Tony Clark and how he's handled the Players Association. I think he's done a pretty good job with this one. Uh, But the owners are so tired of him. They're going to have to bring a mediator in or something to get this thing established. Otherwise, it's not going to happen.
0: I saw today where, while I was reading the latest, that the 76-game proposal is the latest one that's out there. And if this one fails, Rob Manfred could mandate a 48-game season. Uh, and that would be mandated, whether players show up or not, I guess, is whether they get paid or not at that point. But uh, the other thing that I think and the reason they're hesitant to do that is the joy of we get to go through all this again here in a few months because the CBA is up. And so not only are you trying to navigate this short-term season, but then you have the bigger collective bargaining agreement coming up. And this doesn't give me a lot of hope for that because seeing these two sides butt heads over this and not be able to come to grips for, you know, a few months makes me really worried about what's going to happen in terms of, you know, a multi-year agreement, probably about 10 years.
1: The, the size are fun. so far, so far apart, but to put a, put a plug in for former express, I think that, I think Tony Clark needs to call, you know, Brad Zebitus former express turned labor attorney. <laughs> so uh, put, put a little, maybe, maybe start the Brad for MLBPA or whatever slogan, but, uh, no, it's amazing how much distrust there is between the two parties and how much they truly don't like each other. You don't see that in
2: other major sports. And what blows my mind is how they will one side will offer an agreement or a proposal, and the other side will decline it and say they're not going to counter. Then they actually counter 24 <laughs> hours later. It's fascinating yeah. the language they use for this. I, I don't. I don't goes, hey, you know.
0: Yeah, I, I've laughed at that too because I I remember the the first offer that was made and then the players countered and the owner said, Oh no, no. And we're not going to counter. And I was like, Oh, okay, great. So we're done. This is terrible. (laughs) And then, you know, like you said, 24 hours later, all of a sudden the owners have a counter. And then the players say, we're not going to counter. And then they counter and then the owners have countered again now. So I, I don't know what to make of it. I, I've thought at least this one is an actual counter offer. I thought the counter offers before were so just ridiculous because the owners would come at okay 80 games and the players go we want 114 and i'll be honest when that one came out i was like all right well that's dead because there's no way you're going to play 114 games at this point it's too too far gone and the owners come back with 50 and i was like well that doesn't really make sense to me (laughs) and and now it's 40 (laughs) and i was like okay cool so we're just really helping on this never happening and then now they've come out with 76 so i'm like okay well at least this is a little bit of a higher number than 50 or 40 like we had been looking at but as an orioles fan i gotta be honest and i don't know how you guys feel about this the smaller that number got the more i was like all right let's do this like maybe we get a ring out of this
1: it's just less games we're gonna lose so we can say we only lost like 40 or 50 this year instead of you know 100 to 110 so.
0: yeah I, i'm also looking at it as like hey we actually started out kind of good last year we started out like 13 and 7 like if we're uh-huh. 13 and 7 playoffs baby here we go <laughs>
2: And they said that, and, and of course, if the season last year was 48, 50, 55 games, the Nationals don't make the playoffs at all. Oh,
0: which I love. So, like,
2: <laughs> like 50, 50 games would be an absolute sprint. I, I don't know how you manage the arms. Do you do a four-man rotation of a bullpen day? Do you shorten your staff uh, for more bench players or, or the opposite? It would be very fascinating to watch a sprint like that. Well, and I, even I, then,
1: with, with, the shortened, with the shortened season, you might have – I heard a reference today, like, look at somebody like George Springer who the Astros kept down a year, you know, that whole free agency timeline. So instead of being a free agent last year, he is after this year, is he going to even play 50 games and risk a possible contract for 50 games? Um, it's just, you know, that goes to the distrust between the players and the, the you know, the, the administrators and, and owners when they do the you know, hold them back a year thing. But you know, it, I'm sure there's more George Springer's. He's just the one I heard today.
0: I have thought the whole contract stuff is, is really interesting. I know that, if the season is not played um, Mookie Betts is a free agent and was traded to the Dodgers and he's never played for the Dodgers, Uh, which, wow. If you're the Boston Red Sox, you gotta be looking at that as like, man, what a steal. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) at the same time, like, I I don't know, man, I, I, as an Orioles fan, look at the end of the day, we're not going to win a championship no matter how many games they play. So it doesn't matter in terms of a lost season for me, but uh, I want to see baseball and I don't know what you guys have been up to. I know this weekend I watched two world series uh, from the nineties and then the Oh, two giants and angels world series on MLB network. And I, because I just miss baseball and I'm like, I just want to watch actual baseball and watching it from the nineties. I was like, man, I miss this game. I miss these names. I miss this game where it's not boomer bust swinging. And this was fun to watch. Uh, But
1: at least there's golf on this
0: week. <sighs> Not for me. I can't do it. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I'm there. <laughs> I don't think I'm there yet. Uh, That's for times. Yeah. But um, I got video games I can watch, I guess. <laughs> 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 but uh, it, it's, it's really sad. And you touched on it, Parker. Uh, they're pissing a lot of people off. And it gets yep. to a point where I know this gets said every time Major League Baseball has a strike. But it does feel like this time. In a sport that's fan base is aging each year and not getting a lot of new viewers, there's no other professional sports playing. If they had started July 4th, they would be the first team professional sport. That would have been a lot of eyes that they don't normally get. Yeah, And it looks like they're just blowing this golden opportunity over a few bucks. And it, it is frustrating as a baseball fan to see that.
1: I think my, I listened to Mike Golick Sr. this morning. He put it right. He said baseball's trying to... Just kind of do business as usual with this argument back and forth, and then eventually look at their fans back. And these days, with the coronavirus and everything going on with the racial tensions, it's not business as usual. And so he was even talking about, you know, Conor McGregor who retired for the fourth or fifth time. He Mm -hmm. thinks he's trying to play the same storyline, and it's not really going to work this time around because the world's just different. And so, uh, yeah, it's both sides are just tone deaf as hell, in my opinion. And and back to Joe's
2: point, the the general viewing. uh, age of people in baseball is older they got to find a way to attract younger viewers and this is not going to get it done you got man free trying to you know impose a three batter minimum for pitchers and he's, he's shaving off two minutes here and there uh, the issue with baseball is not the length of the game it's the action within the game and they've done nothing to address that so i think baseball is being mismanaged pretty much across the board
0: well and <clears throat> something parker said that just really struck to me when he said baseball's playing the same old game they always do and And I guess maybe that's the frustrating thing with baseball. Baseball is slow to change. We stick with two separate rules in the American league and national league because, well, that's the way it's been done since the seventies and we're used to the pitchers hitting. And I'm like, yeah, but it's bad. It's bad baseball. I don't want to watch a pitcher go up there and swing and miss three times. And for every Madison Bumgarner home run, there's 50 strikeouts. So I don't need that. And, um, I think you spoke to a larger point there, Matt. I think that's the way the game is played, the action in between. And I know that metrics and analytics has become a part of the game, but one of the side effects of that is teams have convinced themselves that these boomer bust hitters are worth it. Um, and And I don't know. I mean, Brad and I talked about this with Ray last week, and people who listened to last week's episode heard us on there. To me, I've never understood having nine boomer bust hitters. To me, if you have one or two of those guys – great. Fine. I get, I get that logic, but to me, you want people on base when those guys come up, why would you not want guys who are going to get on base at a higher percentage and not necessarily either hit it out of the park or strike out? I I mean, I get having one, hopefully better than Chris Davis type hitter, but, uh, it seems like a lot of these teams are just like, no, this is what we need. And there's more and more people striking out at a alarming rate, in my opinion. And, and that, is damaging to the game because it's boring to watch as much as we like baseball. And I like when the Orioles strikeout hitters, I don't, when I'm watching two teams, I don't care about, or just watching for the enjoyment of the game. It's really hard to get into a strikeout competition.
1: You'll probably get a laugh then Joe, that, uh, as you've probably seen with our express teams over the year, we, we lean more towards that boom or bust approach. Yeah. And my, uh, my five-year-old son is a, is in T-ball right now. And I've told him if he hits a ball on the ground, he's got to run laps. So <laughs> I'm more of a boom or bust approach kind of guy. So,
2: uh, oh, my, uh, of my, my son's not allowed to hit the ball on the ground. So. But we do, we do boom or bust to Strasburg, but we have walks behind that. We're very sensitive to players that can, we, we don't care so much about putting the ball in play with two, two strikes. We do want to have guys in other the strike zone, to have guys on base like you referenced. So I'm, I'm all about boomer or bust. Uh, but the reason Chris Davis is failing so spectacularly is because the guy doesn't walk. If the guy walked, he would still probably have a job. But, uh, no, I'm with you.
0: Well, in your all's defense, too, you you do play in a band box there. At <laughs> it's Strasburg.
1: We have to recruit. Put it this way. If I was recruiting the team for Harrisburg Turks, it would look differently, yes.
0: Oh, sure, so- yeah. Yeah,
1: you have to recruit to the the park and the you know a lot of the North Division fields are fairly small, so you got to recruit to what works.
0: Very true, very true. You're not playing at a Covington where it seems like it's 600 feet out there to dead center field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, guys, it, it's been great talking to you, and I want to talk about real Virginia Tech football now because um, I know you guys are both huge Virginia Tech fans, like myself. Uh, assuming that there is college football played. At least how I sit and look at it, it's got to be a coastal championship or we have to start looking at this coaching staff saying, what exactly are we doing here? Um, I, I try not to get too obsessed with the decommits in recruiting because there are 17, 16 year old kids and that happens. But at the same time, I was told last year's recruiting class was bad because, well, we just didn't have that many scholarships all right, well, this year's isn't great now. We, our top two recruits have, all, have both decommitted and now look like one definitely has gone elsewhere and the other one looks like he's going elsewhere. So what are we doing in terms of recruiting? Uh, and I think the best thing, and this is, I know we we're, a lot of people like to talk about, well, you got to donate, you got to put into the facilities. But I think at the end of the day, winning cures a lot of that too. And winning is something we haven't done at Virginia Tech in a long time.
2: Yeah, I think uh, these next two years are going to define the Fuente era. He started off, or actually, Fuente's career. Um, he started off hot, obviously, with mostly Frank's recruits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a dip uh, last year. We had a resurgence, going eight and five. Although the end of the year was disheartening, um, but he has he has built his tenure at Virginia Tech for what he has these next two years. We returned to third most line of production in the country. Uh, all major starters. Uh, so to your point, Joe, I'm with you. I think uh, ten and two, nine and three is a realistic goal. Uh, it's also realistic that we go ten and two and lose to UNC and they win the coast. So um, it's it's, it's going to be a challenge this year. I know defensively, our recruiting seems to be consistent. Uh, we're getting bigger across the board. My concern is actually offense. I'm not sure what they're doing offensively, um, but I see a lot of folks on Twitter panicking about it. It's also June 8th. Uh, yeah, we have state you know, we have seven days till the first signing day, eight and a half till the second. Uh, there's plenty of time to write this ship. And it sounds like for this evening, we got some good news coming on Friday. So we'll see.
0: Parker, what's your take on Virginia tech football?
1: Yeah. I mean, same as Matt, I think to me, if you don't win the coastal this year, then, uh, you got to start to, I don't want to say hit the E break, but you got to do something. Cause I think you've got, you know, I think Hooker is one of the better QBs in the AC. I'm actually a big hooker fan. Yeah. Um, uh, I think our running aim will be as, I guess, strong as Fuente's had it in his career. He's never really recruited that top-level running back, but um, we've at least got a stable this year that are decent. Um, you know, losing Keen hurts, but we've still got some weapons to catch it. So I think, you know, losing D.D. to Auburn and some others is disheartening, but I think on field this year we should be pretty good, and if we're not, I think, yeah, I'm like, mad. I think Fuente's – career is this year and, and you know, this year a lot of it and then the next year slightly if he doesn't do anything in those two years he's probably taken a, a few steps back
0: yeah and look I agree I'm a huge Hooker fan I was a Hooker fan and was disappointed to hear he wasn't the starter for the first game um yeah, no offense to Ryan Willis I know he stepped in with an injury the year before and got us to the bowl game but I I don't know if our if you're telling me the best quarterback in our program is a transfer from Kansas, I'm going to get real depressed real fast. So exactly. when, when he's like, no, Ryan, Willis is our best option. I was like, well, then I guess those two kids that we recruited are just absolute terrible because <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, anytime you get retread from Kansas, who can't be the everyday starter there at some point in his career, which I think he was for a year or half a year, but
0: uh, well, he lost the job.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's when you know you're in trouble, but I agree with you. When I first saw that last year, I said, you know, well then what the heck is Patterson and hooker? Cause I thought both of them to be pretty good. So, um, but I,
2: am a, I'm a hooker fan. I really am. I, I think he's good for us. Yeah. Fuente, Fuente values consistency. He values uh, predictable outcomes, which to me, quite frankly, gets kind of annoying after a while. Um, and I think, I think Hendon taught him that sometimes you just have to give your best athletes a chance to succeed. Uh, once Hendon got the ball, his first start in Miami, he was incredible. It was great since then. Um, so I, I, I I think Hendon taught Coach Fuente a lesson. At least I hope he did.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. And Look, I still believe deep down in my heart, if Hendon Hooker had been the starter day one, I think Virginia Tech wins the Coastal. We don't beat Clemson, but we play Clemson, which is you know a yeah. great thing for the program to be back in that Coastal uh, or ACC championship game and winning the Coastal division. Uh, Primetime so,
1: TV, all that stuff, yeah.
0: Yeah, And and look, the Penn State game this year I think is a huge test right out the gate uh for Virginia Tech. I, I think while maybe it's not a must win, it's a must be in the game. Like it must come down to the last possession. Uh, and it because if Virginia Tech gets blown out in that game, my expectations take a nosedive. If if we win that game, I'm excited. I'm I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. I'm excited. If we lose in a heartbreaking fashion, I'll I'll get over it in a week or two with a couple wins. Um but I don't know. It, it seems like for me, and this is just like Matt said, he started out great. I was like, and when the hire was made, I was like, this is this is probably the best yep. we can do. I like this hire. Year one, he did great. He exceeded my expectations. Won the Coastal was within a possession of beating Clemson in the ACC championship game, who later went on to win the national championship, I believe, that year. So really, really good year from him in year one. Year two, okay, we didn't win the Coastal. That's fine. Year three was a disaster. Uh, No other way to put it. Um, I know he had an injury there, so okay, but at the quarterback position, but it wasn't great. And then last year felt like a real missed opportunity again. When you start Ryan Willis, he has five turnovers in that Boston College game. I I thought then, okay, now you pull him, but we stick with him until we lose to Duke. And I thought, and this is where, like, I've lost respect for Fuente, was in the post-game press conference against Duke, where he said, look, we're just not ready to compete with a team like that. And I was like, well, this team isn't good. Yeah, Yeah. this team
1: isn't good. Anytime you're not ready to compete with Duke in football, good Lord, you need to take a step back. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong. I think what really hurt is in year two of Fuentes era was, I think he banked on having Evans for a second year. mm -hmm. I think Evans leaving early, really. I think he banked on having one more year to find his big-time, primetime quarterback. He thought Evans would be there. We were losing all of his weapons, but you still had that leadership in Evans. And I think him going, which was the dumbest decision ever, whoever his advisor was, should be fired if he's not. Um, I, I, I think that really hurt hurt Fuente.
2: Yeah, he expected to have Evans. And quite frankly, that threw everything off because then you have Josh Jackson starting one year early. And then Josh didn't have a very high ceiling, but he's still a competent quarterback. Uh, then if you have Josh Jackson starting as a redshirt Sophomore, you have Evans for that second year. Maybe that second year is different. There's just so many ifs and buts. But when you're a uh, when you're a Virginia Tech fan, there's lots of variables. And when when you're a solid tier two school, you have to have things go your way. And he's had a lot of challenges in his, in his tenure. But now you're, you're year five, the excuses are kind of over with. It's time to perform. Or, but quite frankly, guys, even if he stinks, the next couple of years we're kind of with him for the next couple of years because of his buyout. Uh, I, uh with, don't I kind of jumped the gun with that contract and uh I think I think if we'd fired him this year we'd be like fifteen or sixteen million dollars. Uh so he'll be here for the next two or three seasons at least.
0: But then can instead of like drive for twenty-five, can we just change it to like drive for whatever the buyout is and then
2: drive for fifteen.
0: <laughs> yeah, drive for fifteen, get him out. <laughs> but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And I guess the other thing that has rubbed me the wrong way and with Fuente was at this off season when he's flirting with Baylor. And then again, another point of contention, whether he was actually offered the job at Baylor or not, uh, he, he decides he wants to be a Hokie. And then shortly thereafter comes out and says, I believe within the same week says people in the transfer portal aren't welcome back. While I hear what some of the people on Twitter were saying about, well, this is, you know, love it or leave it this is what you need in your locker room kind of talk. And I was like, in private, if that's what you want to have the conversation be, fine. You cannot say that publicly. And and to me, it just seemed for a guy who didn't want to answer a lot of media questions to come out and have that be your first media comment in, in the entire off season, I was like, wow, maybe him not talking was the best thing because <laughs> that was a disaster of a press conference and makes me lose faith that he knows what he's doing.
2: That was that was also a, a Norm Wood Mike Barber special, and that they took off, they took out part of the quote, but not the whole quote. He was saying it's basically a case by case situation. Is what he was implying. When you take what he said and put it on words on the internet, that's not how it comes across. So it, it comes across very badly, and of course ESPN picked it up because. God forbid somebody offends student athlete in today's environment, but, uh, well, but I he hear that kind of really say that, but I get your point. It came across very poorly. They thankfully, they, thankfully that, that kind of went away.
0: How do you guys feel about, um, and I, I feel like I know the answer with Matt, uh, and probably Parker there because of that as well, but Cornelson, uh, he's another hot button issue, in Virginia tech. I know when I'm watching games, there are times where I'm like, what are we doing on offense? Kind of like you said earlier, Matt, and, uh he's the guy uh he survived this year which kind of surprised me I thought maybe he would be a casualty of what ended up being a disappointing close to the season although as much as I love Bud Foster that could easily be put on him as well those last two games the defense did not play very well no going to since going
2: to Hendon we were 19th in the country in scoring versus power Five teams. we averaged like 35 and a half points a game and that's no joke that's pretty impressive uh there's also an article in the key play where on jet sweeps. We act, we actually average seven and a half yards of carry on jet sweeps. I can't I think Corny's field for jet sweeps is where the issue is. I think his flow of the game really struggles at times. But I think he has all the pieces in place. That, that, this year is their year. They have to go nine and three, ten and two, and blow out of the water, or i lose all confidence. I'm a pretty positive guy. Uh but this is there, there's there's, there's no excuses anymore for their. Them. what's what's frustrating
1: for me is is i don't mind jet sweeps i hate jet sweeps to the short side and i also hate that on first down we lose five yards and then on second and 15 you run the running back straight up the middle and it's third and 13. it seems like it seems like anytime we're second and 15 it's an automatic play call to run that little handoff off up the middle uh or, or they do you know the the read option which with willis was a joke because you know he can't run yeah thank you no I, I i'm not a corny fan i i think that I guess unless Fuentes is in his ear about playing it safe and not taking risks, as Matt mentioned earlier, uh, I think some of our play calls terrible. And that my comment about the second and fifteen automatic run up the middle is—I feel like it's almost automatic every time. It's so infuriating. It, we're always once in, the, we, in the second and fifteen. is going to be third and thirteen. You may as well just go ahead and, and bank on it.
2: So, what once we get behind the sticks, he tends to really tighten up. It's why, to your point, Parker, uh, on a first down sack, I immediately drive. Thinking about okay we're gonna you know, this get good field code to get a good punt out of it. But um, no I don't know. I'll stop ranting about it. We'll see.
1: Yeah <laughs> but well it's all it's all back to this year. I mean we've got the weapons this year, you know the transfer running back Matt, you know his name I can't think of it, but uh um, Herbert. Yeah. And then with, with with the other back King and some other guys, we've got it's as good a chance as he's gonna have to actually play style. I you know, the offense the first year was fun. Evans's first year with all of Beamer's receivers and whatnot, so that, that was a fun offense to watch. And I thought that's what we were going to see was that up tempo, you know, snap every 20 seconds type deal. And then it just immediately went straight downhill.
0: Well, and uh, is Kashawn King going to play? That's been the frustrating thing for me as a Virginia Tech fan. I felt like he was the best back last year and he didn't get on the field ever. Uh, I was there were so many games that I understand there was a, an issue, disciplinary issue there at one point, so he got suspended for a game. And I was like, okay, well, how about the other 11 games? Because he wasn't on the field, and all he did when he came in was get five yards of carry. So uh, when I'm watching other running backs, God bless him. I know he got drafted. But when I'm watching Dalton Keene in the backfield take handoffs, I'm like, what are we doing? He's a tight end. Stop putting him in the backfield. The issue, the, the issue with King is,
2: and with all true freshmen, there's a lot of true freshmen in their shoulders – aren't ready to bear the brunt of what they're going to deal with at the college level, especially P5. King was dinged up 85% of the season. Okay. So this year with Herbert and with Marco Lee, the Juco transfer from Georgia, uh, you're going to be able to get King back on a roll where he's getting five to 10 touches per game and hopefully not getting too dinged up.
1: But you say that after, after Jonathan Taylor got the ball like almost every single play for three straight years up in Wisconsin.
2: (laughs) Do did you, did you, did you see Taylor's build versus King? Well, yeah, no, I understand the difference. In the difference there. But uh, no,
1: it's just, I, I'm, yeah, I, I guess my, my frustration was I, I was not a McLeese fan. No. Uh, and so I just, to me, King or anybody else, I, I was just, and I I wasn't a fan of Dalton King taking handoffs either, unless it's from the two yard line. But uh, I, I, I agree with you, Joe. I, I, I wanted to see more King last year, at least me.
0: Well, and you're talking about Evans having a bad advisor. Man, McLeese, undrafted. And then on Twitter, God bless him. I guess it's what you have to say, but he's like, this just motivates me to work harder. And I was like, "It for what? The XFL's gone. There's no, like, plan B. Like, plan B is some NFL, semi-pro yeah. league in, like, El Paso, Texas or something. I don't know, but.
2: I, I think I think Cleese viewed it as he's played college football for five years. He's constantly digged up. Uh, this year is the best season he's ever had. His, his draft stock, as low as it was, would not get any better. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I think he gambled on himself, and we, we all know how it's going to go. But um, no, man, God, God bless the kid. I tell McCleese, for all of his in-season struggles in bowl games, he was fantastic. He was guaranteed a buck thirty and two touchdowns every bowl game, even back to Oklahoma State. In um, bowl games, he was fantastic.
0: I think that ball game should have been a hint of what 2020 was going to be because uh, when Kentucky had the ball and was starting that drive, I knew. I was like, there is too much time on that clock. We are going to lose this game. You <laughs> and, knew what was going to
1: happen. It's just, it, it, it's too predictable.
0: Yeah. And there was a guy, I was at a bar in Maryland watching the game. And there was a guy beside me going, why are we using our timeouts? Why aren't we using our timeouts? I'm like, dude, it doesn't matter. Like, if they score, we lose. <laughs> <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. <laughs>
2: yeah. You're, you're. And, and that's, and that's what people, people wanted to pile on our offense. That, that last game was lost by the defense, yeah. right? If Damon Hazelton catches that ball or if Trey Turner catches his ball, we could probably get at least three points and win that game pretty easily. Um, Tech had five chances to win that game, and just defensively we could not get that one stop. Uh, but, again, this year that's all gone. They're all returning back. The entire defense is back, Sans Diablo. Uh, I'm really curious to see what TNT does up front. Uh, they're going to do some different things. Um, Hamilton came out this week and said the secondary is going to have more depth than Bud Foster's man zero uh, coverages, so uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited
0: about it. Uh, we'll see. I, I'm i a little nervous about Diablo. I haven't seen uh, occasionally he'll make a play, but then there's a lot of plays where I'm like, whose guy is that? And I'll see Diablo at the edge <laughs> of my screen, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> the,
1: the one thing I'm looking forward to is, uh, as much as I'm a, I love Bud Foster, just you knew what you were every yes. offense knew what they were getting from him every game, and so I think i think jay ham it's going to be a, a, a deeper bag of tricks that you know you get some different different uh different looks and different because you know everybody knew with tech if you have a mobile quarterback you're going to burn us mm-hmm. i mean it's not hard um you he, he you know he leaves the corners on islands and tries to rush the passer and it's man-to-man and you know nobody accounts for him but uh, it would be nice to see a, a mixed bag of stuff this year i think
0: yeah maybe a safety over the top to stop the go route <laughs>
2: Yes, and, and that's and that that that's one of the things Jay Ham alluded to was that he watched the tape of the Ohio State game and we, we were man free the whole game and that safety was six yards off the line of scrimmage and it worked that game but once it goes on the tape once it's out the window uh, yeah. we kept it so again I'm very optimistic that Jay Ham's going to make the adjustments that's why this code thing really kind of screws us because that spring practice was crucial mm-hmm. for us we didn't get it uh, so if there's one area I'm nervous it's, it's that.
0: All right, well. I really enjoyed having you guys on to talk about Orioles and Virginia Tech and virtual Virginia Tech and what you guys are up to this summer. Uh, I hopefully, uh, we're back next summer with the Valley Baseball League, and I'll see you guys over there in Strasburg watching the Express play. Uh, the I know people at home can't tell, but wearing the Express shirt that you guys gave me and my brother when we were there, uh, we appreciate that. And as always, we appreciate talking to you guys.
1: Thank you. Great to be here. I appreciate it, Joe. Thank you, sir.